What's up, Nativity people? It's Father Jason, and this is another episode of Soul Searching. Today, we are continuing our discussion of Isaiah and the prophetic imagination. And today, we're going to talk about Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. This is the Old Testament reading assigned to Christmas. So it's the one we use on Christmas Eve, and it's one of the options for Christmas Day as well um, this year in the lectionary. Very famous passage from Isaiah, especially verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now you might have heard that outside of church, uh, specifically in Handel's Messiah. Um, some of the other scriptures from Isaiah uh, have come up, uh, that we've discussed, have come up from Handel's Messiah as well. He used a lot of scripture from Isaiah in that piece, and so that shapes our kind of our common uh, thoughts about what Isaiah means, because that piece has been performed for, you know, 500 years and uh, or so. And because of that, you know, we, we think that that the way Handel was using it was what the scripture means. And most of Isaiah, including this passage, is poetry. So it has lots of meanings. Poetry doesn't mean just one thing at one time. Uh, rather, it can be, the meaning can be delved into and it can be the what they say polyvalent meaning that has multiple meanings and in different contexts it shifts the meaning shifts and we can mine these different avenues of understanding and interpretation for more and more insights and we're invited to do that but this particular verse from isaiah 9 is you know part of kind of the cultural cultural ether if you will for unto us a child is born you may have heard that you know in church or out of church. Um, and so that makes it an, another layer that we have to kind of move aside or, or deal with in some way uh, to get at what the scripture is trying to do in this passage. It's this kind of ongoing conversation of context that we've been having. So we're going to look at this uh, chapter of Isaiah in three contexts. One, the, the context of chapter nine, um, also then within the wider context of Isaiah as, as a whole, the book as a whole, and I'm, by here I mean Isaiah 1, 2, and 3, the whole collection of all 60-something chapters, okay? And then also we're going to talk a little bit about the Christian context, but we're going to try to do that in light of the two contexts that we discussed before. So in Isaiah 9, there's a clear before and after that is, uh, that is set up. And it's this notion of the bad ruler is going to be brought down and a new, for unto us a child is born, a new ruler is coming that is going to be better, right? And so this is more than likely refer, referring to Ahaz, which was a king of Judah that was not good. Um, you can read in, I think it's Second Kings about him and he's not portrayed in a positive light. Very corrupt, very much looking out to the interests of just himself and his cronies um, and uh, not fending off the 
assaults from the Assyrian Empire very well. It betrayed as not a king, but not a servant of God. And he's contrasted with Hezekiah, who followed him, who was a son, but is described within the biblical witness as a good king, uh, one who obeyed God and uh, was a servant of not only God, but the people as well, and tried to bring about some reforms. So the chapter nine is probably talking about them, the two of them, uh, bad king on his way out, and yay, a new king has been born, for unto us a child is born. Um, so that's probably, it's setting up a before things were bad and after things are going to be better dynamic uh, that is betrayed very much in a matter of social order, um, material quality of life, um, and, and, and governance. So, the, I mean, it's very down to earth things. This is not, things will be better in the great by and by. And no, it's, it's like the old preacher said, it's here on the ground where we're still around. Um, that's what they're talking, setting up this dichotomy between Ahaz and Hezekiah. So similarly, but on a kind of broader scale, when we pull out to the whole book of Isaiah, Isaiah 1, 2, and 3, as a, as a singular collection, uh, before and after is before exile or during, before and during exile, and the return. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon, and uh, when Babylon finally took Jerusalem in 587 and hauled people off to exile. And it was in the 540s that Persia rose under the direction of Cyrus. And Isaiah, in second Isaiah, described Cyrus as God's anointed one, the one that's going to liberate the exiles and let them come home and bring them home. And that's what Cyrus did. Now, Israel was still a vassal state to Persia at that point and is, was never independent again until 1945. Um, but, uh, but still, Cyrus is portrayed as an anointed one of God and a liberator. So we get this, again, before and during exile and after um, exile um, uh, dynamic. Now, for Christians, it, we still look at this in a lens of before and after through the lens of Jesus. And the notion of Jesus being our savior. Um, Caesar in the Roman Empire was the dominant force at, at that time, and very much so uh, was a, an oppressive force, especially in um, what we call Israel-Palestine today, in the, in the area of the world in which Jesus lived, right? So um, we, again, look at this notion of before Jesus and after Jesus. And after Jesus uh, is a, a time when Jesus sets up an alternative community. We're back to this notion of the prophetic imagination uh, invoking a consciousness that is alternative to the dominant culture. The way society and communities are organized is contrived. It's not the way it is, is not the way it has to be. And Jesus goes about building a community that is different, that is based on love, not domination that is based on service, not in power over people. Um, and so uh, we get thing, things from Jesus like 
that's alternate to the Roman Empire, uh, but we get him sayings like the last shall be first. And in Matthew 25, 40, when he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. And that's how you'll be judged. It's how you, not how you treat the pillars of society, but how do you treat the least in your society? That's how your community will be judged, is what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40. Um, consequently, Jesus and the government was very antagonistic to the powers that be. And ultimately, Rome executes him for sedition, okay? Um, and for claiming that he is the king and not empire, uh, not the emperor, right? So that's what's the, the, the conviction, the, the crime that is nailed to his cross. So it we again have a before and after um, dynamic here, similar to what's going on in Isaiah 9 and in the whole context of the prophet Isaiah. Um, but the thing is, it's still on the ground here now. How we construct our society now is... Uh, what the prophet Isaiah was speaking to, what Jesus was speaking to, um, and what I'm trying to talk about now. Um, so oftentimes when I teach this stuff about um, constructing the social order and the prophetic imagination and a, a consciousness alternative to the dominant culture, somebody will come back and say, yeah, that's why we need to bring back prayer in schools. And I just... I just shake my head. I'm like, no, no, because we need to go back and look at Exodus again, where the gods in Exodus, uh, the Egyptian gods in Exodus were, were used to prop up the state, right? And then later in uh, Israel's history, when the Davidic mar monarchy happens and it becomes an empire, especially you know, getting that way close to the end of David's time, definitely under Solomon, it became an empire to where they built a temple and they centralized the religious practice and began using it to prop up the state. And so prayer in schools, especially in public schools, these are state-run institutions. Having prayer in schools would be the state using prayer to prop up the state. So the prophetic imagination is to think, how can we do that? Let's, let's not do that. Let's do something different. Okay. So I'm not, it, it, sometimes when I teach this, there's this notion that we're going to return to some bygone era. No, it's what's next. We're pushing towards what's next. We're imagining a different social order, a different organization, a way of construing and constructing our life together, our relationships together, um, which is what government is. Uh, we're construing it differently or trying to imagine construing it differently that doesn't serve the interests of the most powerful and rich few, but rather the broader interests of people, um, especially the least of these in our society. That's what the biblical witness kind of points to is that we should be organizing ourselves towards care of the least, not uh, maintenance of the most. Um, so, I uh, just want to put that in there right there at the end, um, offer you some reflection questions as well. So if we're true to the prophetic tradition and the biblical witness, what would it look like for the government to be upon Jesus's shoulders? Again, quoting from uh, Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, and just wonder what that, what would that look like? What would an alternative to the dominant culture look like 
an alternative rooted in the prophetic imagination. And what about our world as it is, is not as it has to be? What about our world as it is, is not as it has to be? So some reflection questions there for you. Uh, be interested to hear what you think. Also encourage you to check out Walter Brueggemann, The Prophetic Imagination, um, The Hope Within History. That's the books I mentioned the first uh, in the first episode of this uh, of this season, and um, hope you'll check those out. It's good. It's reading stuff I've been thinking about for 15 years, <laughs> so it's it's not it's not uh, it's not a one and done thing. I highly encourage you to that. Uh, it'll stick with you. It'll, you know, put meat on your ribs, as they say. Uh, but I want to thank you. This is our last episode of this season. Um, we'll be back after the first of the year in January with another season uh, of Soul Searching. And uh, in the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe and share this video, especially the subscribe part. Uh, when we get to 100 subscribers, then we get a unique URL for YouTube. makes us easier uh, to share and post videos and things. So we we'll hope you'll help us out on that. Plus, when you subscribe, you get free of charge a notification every time we post a video so you can not miss a single bit of the fantastic content that we are putting out from the Church of the Nativity. So I hope you do that. Like, subscribe, and share. It helps it out. Um, and as we end the, year, end the year, I want you to remember, no matter what, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine.